Oh, it is. It is. Another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. We are locked and loaded today, man. We're coming off a UFC pay-per-view that wasn't actually a pay-per-view last weekend with two title fights, including the light heavyweight title changing hands. We are heading into a weekend where there is an actual for-money UFC pay-per-view with two titles on the line. And we also have a huge boxing bout this weekend with one of the greats of all time, Canelo Alvarez, taking on Caleb Plant. This is Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. And I want to remind everybody that Five Rounds is served by my spot, man, the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh, I was just at the Quarter Deck a couple of days ago, and I had an awesome lunch out there. I built my own poke bowl, fresh tuna, brown rice, avocado, the spicy ponzu sauce. Dude, the fish is so fresh. I was even thinking, man, the tuna that I had on that poke bowl was exceptionally fresh on that day. The seafood is always fresh at the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Whether you want to enjoy the fresh mahi, you want to enjoy the buffalo shrimp. Oh, my God, they are so good. It's right out of the ocean at the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. If you're not a seafood lover, so many options for you. The All-American Burger is absolutely elite. I love it. The French dip sandwich, the jerk chicken sandwich. They have awesome pasta dishes and salads at the quarter deck. The key lime cheesecake is a fantastic dessert. It is the perfect way to finish every meal. Now, as you guys know, those who watch this show, the quarter deck is your spot to watch every UFC pay-per-view fight for zero cover charge. Are you looking for a place to watch UFC 268 this weekend, those two title fights, and you don't necessarily want to pay 70 freaking bucks to order it at home? Make the quarter deck your home for the night. Go out to the quarter deck, enjoy the great food, the drink specials, two-for-one happy hour is all day, every day, and you pay no cover charge to watch UFC 268 or any UFC pay-per-view at the quarter deck seafood bar and neighborhood grill. And my friends... I want to remind you, we're going to have a little community event out at the Quarterdeck. The Quarterdeck Sawgrass location, right by FLA Live Arena, where the Florida Panthers play, formerly the BB&T Center. We're going to be having a watch party, a five-reason sports event at the Quarterdeck Sawgrass this coming Monday. We are only four days away. I'm so excited to head out there. Quarterdeck Sawgrass will be watching the Miami Heat on the road at the Denver Nuggets. We'll be watching Monday Night Football. We're going to be knocking down drinks. We're going to be slinging appetizers all over the place. It is going to be such a good time. So if you want to find the location nearest to you or peep their menu before you go, visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The Quarterdeck, come for the food, stay for the fun. And, man, it's going to be a great time at the quarterdeck this Saturday night. Let me introduce my co-host as always. First, let's go uh, downstairs to James Walker. James, how you doing? I'm doing great. I actually had some business travel this week. Uh, flew into New, Jer- New Jersey, flew back, just got in at like 2 a.m. Uh, last night. Uh, but still have enough energy to do the, do the show, so I'm ready to go. Wow. Between you and Frank, Frank goes to Jersey all the time as well. Like, I feel like I'm the only the only one of us who doesn't go out to, to Jersey. So gr- glad to have you back in town, James. Frank Zaffrey, of course, with us as well. Frank, how are you? I'm doing great. Let's get into it, buddy. We got we got to cover last week's fights. We got to cover a big pay-per-view card Saturday. And by the way, I think somebody's boxing Saturday night, too. Yeah, a certain, heard, a certain somebody. Uh, yeah, certain somebody. And, and he is a huge favorite, anywhere between minus 900 to minus 1,000, talking about Canelo, depending on which sports book you go to. It's one of those things. And obviously, I encourage everyone to go to America's favorite sports book, betus.com. 
but yeah, I think this is one of those fights you'd probably have to be crazy to plop down nine hundred bucks to try to win, try to win a hundred mm-hmm. back. Look for props, right? Look for maybe a mid round finish. Look for Canelo to win the fight by stoppage is probably what you're going to be looking for. We're going to get into that. Jim Rodriguez, J Rod, who is actually out in Vegas to cover the fights, uh, the the boxing event. He's going to join us uh, around seven o'clock, seven fifteen. Uh, at some point between 6.30 to 7, I'm giving him a loose time window because he's at the barber shop. We'll see how quickly he can get that fade done. or what. I don't have any hair, so I don't know what the haircuts are these days. What, whatever he's getting done to his head. Uh, Dean Thomas, our good pal, former pro fighter, nine-time UFC veteran, UFC commentator, coach to the stars. He's going to be joining us uh, some point between 6.30 and 7 o'clock tonight. Let's jump into UFC 268 before we look back at 267. You've got rematches on this card, guys, in the two biggest fights here. We'll start with the main event. Kamaro Usman, who is knocking on that George St. Pierre door, right? I mean, he's not too far away from, as George St. Pierre did many years ago, not only cleaning out the welterweight division, you can argue Kamaru has done that already, but cleaning out the welterweight division twice. Like, that, that is what Kamaru is doing. Uh, he's facing Colby Covington for the second time. And, you know, Colby stuck to his guns. He, he didn't want to fight until he got this rematch. He's got this rematch. Um, the last time they fought, guys, you could strongly argue uh, two rounds apiece heading into the fifth round. Colby Covington was having a lot of success in that fight. And it was a striking-only fight. You take guys who were both, in the case of Usman and Covington, incredibly successful college wrestlers, and they either made a conscious decision to, let's just duke it out, or maybe they thought it's going to be too taxing to try to take this other guy down. They canceled out their strengths. Now, both of them also good punchers. Uh, Kamara Usman packs more power in his hands. Colby Covington also a pretty efficient pressure boxer, and obviously you can see both men having success in that fight. So Usman versus Covington part two. Usman has shown us he's good in rematches. I mean, you saw second time he fought Masvidal, absolutely destroyed him. So, Frank, let me start with you on this one. And before we start picking winners, guys, Frank, first tell me when you have two decorated wrestlers who didn't wrestle whatsoever in the first affair, do you think it's going to go like that again? Or do you think they're going to switch up? At least one of them will switch up the game plan and start working for takedowns. Well, I think what you can do is you can just look at, you know, what happened in the first fight and then what you can predict what needs to happen, right, moving forward. Kamaru Usman, his boxing has improved and uh, notably, and he can now unleash that power more successfully. Just ask George Masvidal about that. So I expect that he's going to want to stay standing. Why waste time trying to wrestle Kobe? He's probably not going to get the takedown and uh, look to land the power shot. If you're Kobe... Yeah, the volume striking works. And by the way, when he went into the first fight, that was a great strategy. You know, just try to tune him up with that, with especially with that jab that he's got. But this time, Colby, really, when you break it down, the one advantage, and it's a slim advantage, but the one advantage that I think he has, because these two match up, I think, very closely, one mm-hmm. advantage he has is he's got a little more cardio only because he's a little less muscled. He doesn't mm-hmm. cut as much weight. Yeah. So I think you're going to see Colby mixing it up not going necessarily for a takedown, but grappling, pressuring, acting like it, making Camaro defend everything. If he could do that successfully, he might be able to take a little of the oomph out of those punches and gas Camaro a little bit. And then when you get into the third and particularly fourth and fifth round, then I think you see a repeat of the first fight. But this time, 
if Colby's successful, it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be a, a victory for him uh, with Kamaro a little tired. I think if you see Kamaro Uzman win, I think it's going to be early. It'll be a thunderous shot. The, the way I see this is that Kobe lost, so he's it's on him to make the adjustments. If Kamaru wants to fight the same fight and stand up for five rounds, especially considering he's gotten considerably better in, in his stand-up in the last 18 months, he'll probably win the fight if it's the same kind of fight. I think Kobe is going to put his ego aside, which is a big one, at least at least in his, in his act, in his shtick, and put his ego aside and mix it up more. Now, Something that's never talked about is, is levels of wrestling. If, if a guy is a wrestler, it doesn't matter if he's D2, D3, D1, whatever. They say he's a wrestler, and they assume all wrestlers are at the same level. Kobe Covington was a, was a Division I All-American wrestler. Kamal Usman was a Division II, I believe, or Division Three. There's a difference, uh, you know, in that. Now, has Kamaru for MMA wrestling, you know, improved? I mean, we'll see. But if I'm Kobe Covington... I go into that cage saying, look, I'm a Division One All-American. He's a Division Two or Division Three guy. I can out-wrestle him when I want to. I don't think Kamaru comes into the cage with that kind of confidence in his wrestling. He might think it's more of a stalemate or they're more even. I think Kobe thinks he's a better wrestler uh, you know, than Kamaru Usman, and I think he'll test that out. In, the, in, the, in addition to the volume punching and all those things, I think you'll see, especially in the third and later rounds, I think you'll see him mix it up. And I think that'll be the difference, at least in game plan uh, in, in this fight. You know, the wrestling matchup in itself is fascinating. And, and James, you're right. Like, the credentials, they are better for Colby than they are for Kamaru Usman at the amateur level. Now, when it comes to wrestling for MMA, they yeah. do it in a different way. Um, Colby Covington has a better takedown success rate in the octagon. He's at 50%, which is very good this day and age. I mean, maybe, you know, 20 years ago, Matt Hughes might have been like 90% effective. <laughs> but with the way the sport has evolved, 50% is an excellent clip. Uh, and, you know, Colby, you know, he's he's a better submission fighter. He's got more submissions to his record. So when he takes you down, he's going to look for a choke. Right. Kamaru Usman tends to use his takedowns more for control and more to set up punches and set up ground and pound to maul you with his takedowns. So from an offensive wrestling standpoint, uh, the stats do back up the idea that Colby Covington has a wrestling advantage in wrestling for MMA. But what makes this incredibly interesting, and I have to wonder if Colby is going to go to his wrestling and if he does, what kind of successes is he going to have to this point in Kamara Usman's very decorated UFC career, you want to know how many takedowns Kamaru Usman has given up in a fight? Zero. Wow. He's never been taken down before. Uh, and it, you know, maybe you could go through and say, well, it's because of this, that, and the other stylistic matchup he's had. I mean, he's fought wrestlers before Kamaru Usman has. Uh, you know, so to this point, he has not been successfully taken down in the octagon. And that really made me wonder, you know, the last time that these guys fought one another if that might have just been something that Colby realized that, hey, uh, as good as I am of a wrestler, if I try to take this guy down, I'm just wasting my energy trying to do that. And he saw himself having some success in the striking and said, maybe I'm just going to work with this. Uh, but then, yeah, as you guys have brought up, I think, Frank, you brought it up first that, you know, Colby might be thinking, you know, the game plan that I had last time around, I came close, but I didn't get it done. Maybe I do need to tweak that and try to surprise him with some wrestling this time around. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I, I don't think anybody necessarily is going into this fight thinking, oh, I hope that 
you know, these guys are just wrestling for five rounds. I mean, you want to see some hands being thrown. You want to see Usman's power. But I would find it incredibly intriguing if at some point in this fight, especially early in this fight, if someone does try and succeed to take it to the ground. Because then you'd feel like this is not just an extension of their first fight. We're actually seeing something tactically much different from that. But, I mean, in my in my humble opinion, and, and if anybody disagrees with this, and, and Frank, I'll let you uh, give a rebuttal or a response to this first. Um, I just, I really, for as close as their fight was the first time around, and Usman did win by knockout and he broke his jaw, but anybody who didn't actually watch the fight might think, well, it wasn't close because one guy knocked out the other. No, it was incredibly close right up until the point that Kamaru Usman finished the fight. As close as that first encounter was, you see the pattern of Usman getting better in rematches than the originals. He's been a lot more active than Colby has. Colby has only fought once, and it was against a washed Tyron Woodley since these guys fought the first time around. Uh, and his hands have gotten better. He's gotten more powerful. I think Kamaru Usman's power is going to be the difference here. I see Kamaru Usman winning this fight, and I see him winning it earlier and more convincingly than he won the first fight. It was a fifth-round stoppage last time around. I think it's going to be a second or third round stoppage this time around. It'd be very interesting to see Colby win because, you know, a, a lot of people would be very triggered by, by the idea of having Colby Covington as a UFC champion and the rants we're going to have to hear that guy go on. A lot of people would be very upset by that. I'm sure a lot of people are rooting for Kamaru Usman to win this fight just because of who Colby Covington is and Colby Covington's personality. It'd be interesting if Colby won this fight. I just don't see it. I, I think that this is going to be one-sided compared to the first one. Do you disagree, Frank? I do. I, I disagree vehemently, actually. I, I think oh, wow. uh, I think it'll go to decision. I don't know who's going to get it. I know Colby's plus 250, plus 260, so I know the odds makers don't think it's going to be close, but I do think it'll be close. Um, look, Colby's biggest advantage in my opinion, is also his biggest disadvantage in that he's he's a slighter frame guy than Kamaru Usman. So from an advantage standpoint, if he pushes the pace, if he uses that Division One wrestling that James mentioned, and he tries to make Kamaru Usman work in different ways in this fight, he could be very successful. The disadvantage is if he's looking for that big shot that Burns almost got Usman with, et cetera, you know, if he's going to stand in the pocket and look for that shot, his frame is too slight. The first fight demonstrated it. It almost The first fight almost made Colby look like he did not have as good a cardio. What was actually happening was his slighter frame just couldn't withstand all of that punishment. And I might mention also that as good as Usman's boxing has gotten, who's the person who's had the most significant strikes against Kamar Usman? It's Colby. Colby. Cump- and it's three times the next closest guy. I mean, so like – both guys from a striking standpoint are really I, I both both use a methodology that is specifically tuned for them and I have to credit both coaches but now they're coming out of different camps and I'm going to be really fascinated to see how that what the continuation of that is and how that manifests itself in the fight yeah I'm, I'm actually with Frank believe it or not I, Ooh, I, see, I, I, I like a little dissension I, I see a lot of value in that plus 260 and, and really if you if you think about what I've been saying about this fight since it was announced I, I just have a feeling Kobe's gonna pull an upset on this one I mean both of these guys are, are razor close I mean if they fight 10 times I, I think it'll probably be six to four one way or the other either you know Kamara win six times or Kobe might win six times or something like that it it's so close either way but I, I think if Kobe mixes it up He'll still around with the wrestling. If he can hold Kamaro down for a minute and a half or something in one of those late rounds, 
he could steal around, and that that really could be the difference in the fight. I I, I don't see a finish coming, even though they're they're. I mean, they're both going to be going hard for five rounds like the first fight. But I, I think this is. I mean, both got both guys have unbelievable cardio. Both guys have great chins. Uh, Kobe's well rested. You know, a lot of people think it's rust because he only fought one time in in eighteen months. I think there's no wear and tear. You know, that's kind of how I see it with, when it comes to to Kobe anyway, because he's he's that type of fighter that he's always going to stay in shape. He's always going to stay prepared. Um, so he he never got out of shape, and he doesn't have the wear and tear of fighting three or four fights in the last uh, you know in the last year and a half. So I, I like I like Kobe in the upset by decision. I think he's going to mix it up with the wrestling and maybe steal around late. Um, to where you know he'll probably win like three to two, but I think it's going to be a razor thin fight either way. By the way, huge shout out to some folks we're seeing uh, turning up here in the live chat. Alex Alberto G, good evening to you. Brett, the movie guy, Cause or Cass. I don't know if I'm saying your name correctly. I, I try to cover all the bases. Whether you are Cass or Cause, welcome into the chat. And uh, and Brett, the movie guy, kind of expanded on something I was saying. Uh, Colby winning is the better thing for the division. Honestly, Usman is already thinking of retirement and then on to Canelo as well. Canelo don't need the division held up. Uh, I mean, definitely listen, um, you know, on the one hand, like for, for those who are really into, you know, legacies, you can look at Kamaru and say, wow, he's like so close to reaching and then maybe someday eclipsing George St. Pierre in the welterweight division. So if like you're a fan of just watching a guy create history and become potentially the greatest of all time. Kamar Usman is on that track right now. But if you're a fan of chaos and if you're just a fan of, hey, this guy has already beaten pretty much everybody. I mean, you're going to have some new challenges arising like Hamza Chemaev, I think is going to be in that conversation soon because he looks like an absolute monster in the welterweight division. <laughs> but as far as the relevant players right now in 170, Usman has basically beaten everybody already and he's going for round two with all these guys like the uh, like the Colby Covingtons and the Jorge Masvidal's of the world. So it would be a lot more interesting if he were to pull off this upset. Uh, and something, guys, I will give Colby credit for this. And, and uh, you know, it, it, this, goes, this shows you that mixed martial arts 2020, 2021, you're starting to see a few of, like, the good things, I think, about boxing being adopted by – by MMA where you're starting to see fighters because most because like in, in MMA history you've always got these mega camps right you've got American top team where there's like 500 professional fighters that are members you know aka Greg Jackson's which is a little smaller but it's still a mega team but now you're starting to see this trend and Colby Covington has become part of it where it part of, it's a really good thing because these fighters in mixed martial arts, the good ones, they're getting more well off financially. They're, they've got more endorsements than ever before. Their fight purses have gotten bigger and they're starting to do personalized training because, yeah, uh, a good thing about being at a gym like American Top Team is there are like literally dozens of killers you can spar with on any given day. But the coaches aren't necessarily giving you their undivided attention. Right. Where Colby Covington, who left ATT not too long ago has actually created a training regimen and coaching that is 100% tailored to him. It's something we've seen in boxing for a very long time, haven't seen enough of it in mixed martial arts. And of course, not every professional mixed martial arts fighter can afford to do that. It's only the people who are on the upper echelon. But And, and Frank, I know you and Colby used to be very tight before he went completely Hollywood. Um, this is certainly something he can benefit from, right? Because you, for, for as great as the coaches are at ATT, you know, they've got so many fighters to work with and to deal with. Uh, I would imagine that Colby is right now getting the best training of his life. 
Yeah, I think the issue with American Top Team for for the guys at the top of the food chain is not only that there's there's so much for uh, you know a, a, a small number of coaches to deal with, but you also have because of the size of American Top Team and its popularity, you might have like top contenders in the same division, which further fractures the ability of a gym to serve as individual fighters. And you've seen some fighters have to, you know, go off and train somewhere else for a while. Tyron Woodley was always heading off to what Milwaukee, right? Or he yeah, would always right. head off, to you know, to, yeah, yeah, he'd have to take off. So anyway, I just think it presents a lot of challenges. But you're right. I mean, for the top level guys, and by the way, I think Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, I think it's them two. And then there's a drop off. And I know we're going to talk about uh, Chimaev and you know maybe some other potential contenders coming up. But really, they're at the very top of the food chain. It's going to be really interesting to see if it's like a situation like, you know, Barkley could have had a title if not for Jordan, right? You know, like if it's going to be one of those situations. But uh, I think we're going to see Colby get it, and then I think we're going to see the third round of it. I think, in, you know. Yeah. In, in terms of personalized training, I, if, if you can afford it, why not? You know, I, I think it's yeah. the best route to go. You have, you know, 100% attention. Everybody's, you know, sort of training is geared toward uh, – uh, Conor McGregor is another guy that's been doing that for a long time. Obviously, he can afford it. You know, he can fly in guys, you know, and to, to specifically train with him for a certain fight, especially for a title fight. You know, it's, it's kind of an investment, right? You want to be champ. Yeah. You want to make the big money. Put the money down. Have a spe specialized training camp and, and you know, go for the title. I, I think that's really smart. I think actually more fighters that are fighting for titles. I, I wouldn't do it if you're just, a you know, a guy trying to crack the top 10 or whatever and you're making 40000 a fight. Uh, but if you're if you're going for a title, um, I'd say, you know, it's kind of an investment in, in the fight, investment in your career to have that kind of personalized uh, attention. There are other excellent fights at UFC 268. Before we get to those, I want to get into a new edition of the toss up. And, you know, last week, Frank's email was broken or something. He didn't have the list in front of him. So thankfully, the very capable James Walker pinch hit for Frank. But I, I think, Frank, you were prepared to retake the toss up throne. Yeah, I know. I don't know what happened last week, guys. I mean, I just I, I had a Jan Blahovich moment. But anyway, oh Dana, White, <laughs> uh, Dana White wants to make Nate Diaz versus uh, Hamzat Chimaev. Is that a terrible idea? It's the worst idea ever. Like it, 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 it there, there's only one positive that would come out of that <laughs> fight being made. Like the only positive that would come out of Chimaya fighting Nate Diaz is it would be probably the most eyes that have ever been on a Hamza Chimaya fight. So it'd be good for him, right? And I think I think he realizes that that you know I'm I'm beating I'm beating fighters that people don't care about a whole lot. If if, if I go in there and give Nate Diaz a free ass whooping because that's what it's going to be. You know I'm a Diaz Brothers fanboy. Uh, that that's the worst stylistic matchup in the freaking world for Nate Diaz. Like I I love him, but I would give him a zero point zero percent chance of beating Hamza Chimaev. He is going to be throwing him around like a rag doll, the way that he did to to uh, to Zhang Lang this past weekend. Like it's not even going to be a contest, right? Uh, so it's it's just stupid, lazy matchmaking. And I feel like if Dana White goes through with this. There's a clear agenda here. Like, there is a clear agenda to try, and let me put my tinfoil hat on. Hold oh, on. God. Oh, here we go. <laughs> there is a clear and present agenda that Dana White knows Nate Diaz is entering the final fight of his contract, and, of course, he would want a big, big-time extension 
So Dana White just wants to motherfuck this guy in the final fight of his contract. Like, he wants to sabotage him. He not only wants Diaz to lose, he wants him to lose in the most humiliating way possible against a guy he cannot beat. He cannot beat Hamza Chemaev. It is the worst stylistic match of all, of all time. So Dana White is trying to devalue, humble, and humiliate Nate Diaz on the final fight of his contract. The only person who would benefit from this fight is Chemaev because he gets a little rub from fighting Nate Diaz. Promotionally, it's pointless because everyone knows what's going to happen in that fight. Like, if, if you want to keep promoting Nate Diaz fights, send him in there against bangers. Like, send him in there against people who are going to throw punches with them. That, that's the only thing you should be doing right now. This is a really, really stupid fight and a clear agenda by Daddy Dana to try and make Nate Diaz look bad. What say you, James? Whew. I actually agree with you overall, but for a different reason. Um, I I think fighting Nate Diaz would take Chamaya further away from the title than it actually brings him closer. Why wouldn't he be in there against a Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luke or a guy, a, a guy in the top five that would pretty much put him one fight away from a title shot? Beating Nate wouldn't put him any closer, even though he would get the rub in the name. He's not going to get a title shot in the next fight. He's probably have to fight two more times to get a title shot and, and right. end up fighting a Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luke anyway to, to get in that conversation. So why even waste six months of, of Chemayev's career with a training camp and a fight and then another training camp so he actually faces a guy? Um, put him in there against a the top five guy right now. He's ready, obviously. You know, he, he beat the number 11 guy. Put him in there against, you know, whoever is available. You know, if Burns is available or Vicente Luke or whoever, um, you know, in that top five is available. And then, you know, that puts him right in the conversation with Leon Edwards and, and whoever else would be next, um, you know, for a title shot. What's wrong with you guys? Come on. And Nate, or uh, Alex, I called you Nate. Alex, <laughs> might as well. Back on. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys, this, this is what's going on. The UFC's been at this for a while. They kind of know what they're doing. And no, Alex, I don't think they want to ruin Nate Diaz and, you know, uh, sabotage contract negotiations. The guy could get thrown out of the octagon and that, like a spear <laughs> into, the, into the 400 seats and he would still sell out a pay-per-view. doesn't matter. No, what they're doing is they realize that Shemayev is probably a future champion and they're like holy cow we've got this really tremendous athletic asset and nobody knows who he is so he fights Nate Diaz suddenly they know who he is that's what they're benefiting from they want to put this guy on the map before them they could not put James to your point they could not put Shemayev Gilbert Burns it, it couldn't headline anything I mean, you know, nobody, nobody, none of the fans even know how to say his name. So, but he fights Nate Diaz. He picks Nate Diaz up like a dart and throws him out of the octagon. Suddenly, you know who Shemayev is, you know? So it's great. I think it's a smart move, but I don't think Nate Diaz is going to take this, is he? Because Nate, yeah, Nate Diaz, I mean, he's smart enough to realize he's, yeah. he's being used. To market yeah. a future potential champion. Yeah. Well, what I'm sure, I'm sure what Dana White is probably telling him is like, this is the last fight in your contract. Take it or leave it. Like, otherwise, you're just going to sit out. The is there like, I, obviously, there's a number of fights you have on the contract. Is there ever a point where you sit out long enough? The contract is void, or 20 years from now, will Nate Diaz still owe Dana White one more fight? I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that works because I think it varies from organization to organization. But Dana White might just say, hey, if, you know, we have you under contract. This yeah. is the fight. Take it or leave it. And listen, Nate Diaz is the type that would probably say, all right, I'm leaving it. I'm not, I'm not taking it. You know, if he doesn't want to fight it, he won't want to fight. I mean, his, his older brother sat out for like six years before, before taking <laughs> another fight. I don't think Nate would mind sitting out for a little while. 
isn't this also why we have Masvidal's next fight booked? I mean, George doesn't realize this, but he's kind of being used this way too. You know, yeah. he's a he's a big name right now, and you're setting this guy up, you know, for a really important fight. You want him to sell it better. You know, people will tune in to watch. You know, the Miami badass fight him. So, I mean, I, I think this is this is a, a smart game by the UFC to try to elevate some name brands. I, I think it's interesting, too, that Dana White has publicly said, hey, we're going to approach Nate about this fight, like with the bullhorn. Look, everybody. Ba -ba -ba -da. <laughs> we're going to approach Nate about this fight so everybody knows if it doesn't happen, Nate turned it down. They usually don't kind of give us a peek behind the curtain that often, that clearly. But Dana's clearly making this in Nate's last fight letting everybody know that he's offering him Chimaev. So if it doesn't happen, you know who to point to of why it didn't happen. I thought that was interesting. All right, guys. Glover Teixeira is the new light heavyweight champion. Will he successfully defend his title? No. No. <laughs> For, he, 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 was, he impressed the hell out of me, although I kind of wonder if Jan Blahovich even trained. Right? He looked I – mean, Blahovich looked awful. I mean, he landed like an uppercut, and that's it. He got taken down at will – by a 41-year-old, actually, four, he had just turned 42. A 42-year-old man took him down multiple times, finished him, mauled him with a left hook. I mean, as happy as I am for Glover Teixeira, because that dude, he has had a journey. Like he had, I remember he didn't debut in the UFC. He was well known, like around uh, fighting in Brazil, fighting for other organizations. He was well known, relatively speaking, but he didn't debut in the UFC till he was 32 years old. And when he made his UFC debut a decade ago, conversations were being had then about, man, I, I wonder if uh, Glover Teixeira like, has enough time to, to make a title run in the UFC because he's so old making his debut. Uh, you know, He already had one title bid. He had the misfortune of having to fight John Jones. We know how that goes for everybody. So he had a failed title bid. And then at his age, late 30s at the time, into his early 40s, I never thought Glover Teixeira would have enough time left. I mean, maybe if he was a heavyweight, sure, light heavyweight, not so much. He would have enough time to forge a second title run. So unbelievable story, dominant performance by Glover Teixeira. But guys, it's looking like his next opponent is going to be Yuri Prohachka. That Your guy boy. is a murderer. Your that boy. guy is an absolute murderer. You know, the only like the argument you could make in Glover's favor is he's just so much more experienced and he's fought, you know, better fighters and he's seen everything where Prohachka has not. But Prohachka, like he he I think he's going to take Teixeira apart, uh, assuming that is going to be his first title defense because he he's open to it. He's talked about it. Prohachka was actually at the event in Abu Dhabi mm -hmm. and he stood up in his seat and, you know, took a bow and all that. So. Uh, assuming that's his first title defense, uh, enjoy enjoy Glover Teixeira as champion while you can because it's not going to last very long. Yeah, that's a tough matchup for Glover. Um, I agree with that. But really, I mean, to, to Frank's point that he's been making for months, uh, who really cares about the light heavyweight division at, at this point? I think there's really only two things that could save Glover's title run from people caring about it. One, if John Jones just suddenly has a change of heart and decides to say, "Yeah, you know what? I want to go back down. I'm, I'm, you know, this heavyweight thing hasn't been working out. I'm getting in trouble. I want to fight. I know I can beat Glover already. Let me go get my belt back." Or if Israel Adesanya, you know, a, a, a fight or two from now decides, "Hey, I want to give it another crack. You know, maybe I could beat Glover. I know I had some struggles against uh, Jan Blahovich. I think I can beat Glover. Let me go. Let me move back up and try to be a two division champion. I think that's really the only two scenarios where people will care about this division uh, right now because it's it's pretty stale right now. So even your boy uh, Alex, if he wins the belt, I I don't think there'll be a lot of buzz about 
you know, who's the champ in this division. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I sat back on my couch after Teixeira did what everyone thought was impossible, and I thought, wow, and I didn't think this division could get any worse. Now we've got a <laughs> middle-aged guy from Danbury, Connecticut, who's got the belt. Who cares? Um, no, he probably won't be able to hold on to it, um, and, you know. but maybe he would get one defense successfully, but I don't think he'd be able to hold on to it. And I think it will be a revolving door of people that we don't care about. I'm hoping that there's an infusion as – James intimated without Asanya. I don't know if it's him necessarily, but maybe some other, you know, 185 or that's looking to kind of, you know, get around the impossible and Asanya and inject some marketable life into this division. Otherwise, I think Dana's got to go calling on these guys he sent over to Bellator because it's a mess, man. I mean, it's really, it's Scott Coker's world now at 205, yeah. right? He owned the heavyweight division for a while. And then, you know, now it's 205 that he's taken, uh, taken hold of. So. I don't know, man. I don't see John Jones coming back in any division unless he gets a truckload of cash, which he doesn't seem like he's likely to get no. anytime soon. Oh, I'm sorry. I paused like somebody else go read the question. <laughs> All right. Uh, last weekend, Bruce Buffer missed his first UFC pay-per-view in 25 years Ooh. after testing positive for COVID-19. Where does Bruce Buffer rank among best MMA or boxing ring announcers? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big nerd for this stuff. As someone, I've done a little bit of ring announcing before. I'm, I'm a huge yeah. geek for it. Um, Bruce Buffer is not number one for me. Number one for uh, me. And I admit, this is a lot of nostalgia. Oh, the I know where you're going. The crazy screaming uh, woman with pride, Lenny Hart. Oh, and I've had it. She, she's, so, she's such a lovely woman. I had a chance to interview her before. It's been many years. I'll see if I can try to track her down. But she lives in Tokyo. She's an American woman who's lived in Tokyo for like 20 years. So she she could be difficult to coordinate with, but if I can get her on the show, I'd love to. Ah, the way she would scream out the names, like, oh my, oh my god. god, it's so many freaking memories. Uh, you know, Pride. She also did the ring announcing for for Dream. She does Asian promotions. Uh, just unbelievable. It's a nostalgia pick for me because those were like my glory days as an MMA fan. So Lenny Hart is number one, the crazy screaming lady from Pride. My number two, a buffer, but not Bruce. Uh, Michael Buffer is just so iconic. Is Michael Buffer a little bit washed? Yeah. W which one was the fight? Was it was it the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight when he had no voice whatsoever? And you're like, bro, green tea or something, man. Lozenges. <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, M Michael Buffer is probably not what he was like in the <laughs> 80s and 90s. But, you know, Michael Buffer, just so iconic. Great businessman. I mean, he's got his uh, that phrase he says. I'm not even sure if I can say it on the show. We might get sued. You know, let's get. <laughs> something to something you know his phrase let's get ready to and all stuff is over right there yeah like he he's got that trademarked he he makes probably seven figures every year just suing people for using that phrase when they're not allowed to it's amazing you know michael buffer is my number two um you know i i might go bruce buffer at number three I, i'm not a huge jimmy lennon jr oh, guy he's God, just no. a little yeah just a little, <laughs> little boring little monotone uh you know i, I do like the, the I do like the backup in the UFC, uh, Joe Martinez. He's good. He's good. Yeah. Just, you know, he's a little bit like typical, like oh, a little, little typical cookie cookie cutter. So, yeah, I probably yeah. I probably do go Bruce Buffer three. So I've got Bruce Buffer behind only Lenny Hart, the crazy screaming woman, and his uh, his half brother, Michael Buffer. I've got it. Number two, Bruce. Number three. What do you think, James? Man, I, I don't have a Rolodex of announcers like you guys, man. I, I don't I, either. I watch the fights, man. I, <laughs> um, 
Michael, yeah, Michael Buffer would probably be number one, uh, and, and to me, Bruce is number two. I, I couldn't name. I mean, I know the crazy pride lady. I know of her. I wouldn't know her name, uh, but she's great. She's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I could, I couldn't name you more than two announcers. Uh, so those are my one and two. So fun fact, right? Bruce Buffer didn't know that he was the brother, half brother of Michael Buffer until like I think 1990, maybe 89, 90. Wow. Uh, when they discovered each other, they now co-own a company together um, that basically sues people for saying, "Let's get ready to do something." That's and, right. Uh, and it's time. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I look. They're they're one and one for me. They they're two different sports. So you know, like for Bruce, he represents. That announcing for MMA for me, there is no parallel for him. And yeah. then Michael Buffer for me in boxing is that's the voice I want to hear um, when I'm watching a boxing match. So for me, they're 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 tied. Uh, and I think Michael does a little wrestling too. Although I don't watch that, but Alex, you might be able to validate that. I, I actually, Buffer I think I think James to... James is the wrestling guy. Oh, okay. Didn't Michael Buffer used to do some wrestling? stuff not for uh maybe yeah maybe some wcw stuff way back that in the day it was yeah in the yeah. 90s he would yeah yeah we're going yeah. way back yeah yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. all right uh i got another i got another quick uh sorry no I, I got another quick bruce buffer thought before before we move on like uh i don't know around around a decade ago i went on this kick where i was reading the biographies like the autobiographies of like MMA fighters and personalities. I read BJ Penn's book, which was fantastic. Why I fight. I read, uh, I read Chael Sonnen's book, which was really entertaining. Like, you know, he, his wit and his humor was intertwined throughout the book. And then I actually, uh, I think I was sent a copy. Like I didn't buy it, but I, I I started to read Bruce Buffer's autobiography. It's called like popping bottles and kissing models. (laughs) I couldn't get through four pages of it. Like, dude, it was it was the maniacal ramblings of a narcissist. Did, did, oh, you, did so you ever bad. did you oh, ever read God. that, Frank? Like, oh, I like, tried. I only got to page terrible. three. It was terrible. so bad. You know when I knew he was an uh, an, uh, an unimaginable narcissist when you and I interviewed him, and he had invented an app for your phone where he would just say, <laughs> "Hey, you know." You know, for you know, good morning. It's time. Yeah, you know, a hundred different versions of it's time. And you know why we discovered that was because, like, I very, I very polite. And and sometimes, sometimes people say no to this request, and it's fine. Yeah. But like, I had kindly asked Bruce Buffer. This was for uh, we were pre-recording an AM radio interview, and like, I kindly asked Bruce Buffer, like, hey, like, if you don't mind, it'd be kind of cool. Maybe you could do like a personalized drop where you say, like, it's time for fight night with Alex Dono and Frank Zabri. And like, I asked him that. And then his response was, I won't do that for you. But if you download my app, you can pay for a recording of me doing it. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I, we did ask him in the interview, and I thought he was somewhat candid about this. Like, you guys, you ever have, like, just your brain shuts down? So, you know, like a brain fart for a minute, you know, yeah. and you can't remember the most obvious thing. It's happening to me more and more. might be my age. But I watch him in the octagon, and he's he's it you know, 12 decibels high and he's jumping around like a lunatic and he looks over to his opponent and he starts saying his name and his opponent's staring back at him. And I just wonder if ever in that moment, it's like, oh shit, what's this guy's name? You know, like I just, you know, but I guess he's holding that card so he can kind of glance at that while he's doing it. But man, is he good? I mean, because he's right. You know, what's great about him is he's involved with the fighter as he's giving the fighter the introduction. I think it's pretty badass. Yeah, a lot of them give them a give them a pound and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, they right. they really appreciate it. They really appreciate the intro. Yeah. All 
All right, uh, one more silly question. They're everywhere this time of year. Do you like pumpkin-flavored anything, food, beverage, anything? It's literally the worst thing in the world. I I, <laughs> I hate autumn. Um, Thanksgiving time is terrible. Um, you know, this even, like, bleeds sometimes into Christmas with this pumpkin spice nonsense. I do not understand the, fascina the fascination people have for the flavor of pumpkin. Like, do you want to ruin a coffee? Do you want to ruin a pie? Do you want to ruin a cookie? Let's put some <laughs> pumpkin flavor. And they always add like cinnamon. I hate cinnamon. Oh, this is the worst time of year. Uh, I think like the only pumpkin flavored thing that I kind of like, and I think it's because it's like so packed with like butter and, and terrible, terrible things. Um, at Panera Bread, they do like pumpkin muffins. Those are fire. Like for, for whatever reason, I, I, I can tolerate pumpkin and actually enjoy it when it's in like a Panera Bread pumpkin muffin. But, you know, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, pumpkin spice latte, pumpkin pie. I don't like any of it. Like, I, I do not like the fact that this time of year, everything gets pumpkin fied. It's awful. <laughs> Pumpkin's okay with me. I, I, I like pumpkin pie. There's a few few things pumpkin-wise I don't like. But I, I don't feel strongly about it either way. I don't hate pumpkin I don't I don't particularly, you know, way, I, I also I hate actual pumpkins like there was nothing worse when you were a kid, like when you were a kid and, and like grownups were like, oh, every kid loves to make a jack-o'-lantern. You have to reach your hand into that freaking disgusting core <laughs> and then your hand smells like pumpkin for like a month because it doesn't what doesn't wash off. Oh, it's oh my awful. God. Yeah, uh, it's it's all right. I don't feel strongly either way on my end, but I'm glad I'm glad that you uh, feel very strongly about disliking pumpkins, Alex. I have the same relationship with the pumpkin as I do with the pig. Like, you know, I, I like bacon. I like ribs, but I don't like ham very much. And I don't like pork chops. You know, I'm kind of so pumpkin's the same thing for me. Pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin donuts. I really like. But, you know, never had one me, of those. Okay. He gave me like a pumpkin ice cream. I wouldn't want to eat that. You know, there's some. So, you know, pumpkin seeds are great, though. You didn't like that as a kid, Alex? No. Pumpkin awful. seeds? No. Mm. Sunflower seeds. Yeah. You know, nuts. Yeah, no, no, not pumpkin seeds. No. <laughs> well, on that great question, that wraps up our uh, toss up. <laughs> I just, I had, I put that in there. It's like the most self serving. I just, I wanted an excuse to rant about pumpkin stuff. Like, so I'm like, oh, let me put it in the toss up for today. So you succeeded. Yeah. Oh, I, I apologize for my mania. All right. So let, let, let's look uh, a little bit deeper into UFC 268. We talked about the main event. And for anybody who's just tuning in, you can go back and watch the replay. Oh, and I should mention, by the way, listen to the replay because uh, finally there, there was some there was some technical holdup technology that I do not understand why it took us a long time to get on Apple Podcasts for our for our show replays because we've been on you know since July we've been available on Spotify but a lot of people myself included. The first place that I go to listen to podcasts is Apple Podcasts. And I want to let everybody know if you go into the uh, the podcast app okay. on your iPhone or your, your tablet, because it works the same. Even if you have like a Mac or a, an iPad or an iPhone, just go into the podcast um, store, search for five rounds, and you're going to see the orange fist logo that we have, the pumpkin colored logo the orange uh, fist that we have and, and make sure you subscribe subscribe to our podcast because uh like i, I understand like I, I love the video format and i'm glad we're doing this but i do understand that in certain situations if you're like a commuter it's probably easier for some people to listen to the audio and everybody you know the technology is great now the bluetooth you play it right through your car speakers 
So uh, that's another great way to access the show. Go to the Apple Podcast Store. You can also go to Spotify, where we've been for months. But uh, go there, search for Five Rounds, and you will see the the orange and black fist logo pop up there. And that's another way to consume our content. So uh, moving along, guys, co-main event. Another another championship fight here. Women's strawweight champion Rose Nama Yunus. Thug Rose is going to defend her belt against Weili Zhang. They have fought before. Uh, Rose won this fight by knockout. Now, guys, um, this is one where I do see the belt changing hands here. And I, I know that Thug Rose won the first encounter, but a minute 18 head kick knockout Zhang didn't really have a chance to get going in that fight. Uh, I just think she is the better, more well-rounded fighter. And if she doesn't get caught and caught early the way that Rose caught her the last time around, uh, I think you're going to see a different fight and a different outcome. So even though I, I'm the only person on this panel who does not see the men's welterweight title changing hands, I do see the women's strawweight belt changing hands. I think that uh, Wei Li Zhang, probably by decision, is going to get her hand raised, and she's going to take the belt from Thug Rose. Uh, Frank, I'll let you jump in next. Uh, you know, it's hard to argue that the, that there isn't a strong possibility for that. I mean, they're very, very evenly matched. Um, you know, Rose caught her in the last fight. Um, but I don't know. There's something about me that just really pulls for Rose. I mean, she's just an incredibly likable person, incredibly resilient and tough, and just uh, such a great representative of the brand. And I just, I'm pulling for her. So maybe it's more emotional than, you know, clinical in terms of what I, how I feel about it. But I think Rose doesn't knock her out this time, but I think Rose wins by a comfortable decision. I think she gets probably four of the, of the five rounds. And by the way, could she please change her nickname? From thug, because she doesn't look like a thug. To well, she's got that shaved head though, like the short. Like I, I, I kind of see it actually. Like, like back in the back in the day when she had long hair, I couldn't see it. I want Rose precog Nama Yunus, and then I want her to go in the <laughs> shtick where where she predicts what she's going to do to her opponents. Got a Conor McGregor. Hey, I saw a vision. I knock your ass out again. <laughs> She does look like the rule that Minority Report. That yeah, was that one, right? Yeah. She, she looks like the precog. Yeah. Oh. She looks like she's laying in that pool with the other two. Yeah. Oh my god, he cracks me up every time. <laughs> Zhang reminds me of the Peter Yan, uh, Piotr Yan of women's MMA. Uh, she she's a machine, and and she got caught, but she's a pressure fighter that comes forward and hits harder than pretty much anyone in her division. Um, kind of like Piotr Jan, uh, hits harder and is a machine and comes forward more than anyone in his division. Um, I, for five rounds, I, I just see there being too much pressure. I don't see her getting caught again. And I just don't think we saw enough in that first minute and, and a half or whatever it was in that first fight to kind of see how tough of a matchup this is for Rose Namajunas. I, I just think, uh, James, it's a little bit too, too tough a matchup for her, especially if it goes beyond a couple rounds. I just think her power and her pressure will, will just be too much, uh, too much. So I, I do see the title going back. And there's a revenge factor, which always plays into it when, when a person loses, especially in the manner in which she lost in the first yeah. fight. And, and the next fight I want to break down, and, and James, I want to get your insight on this first before we start talking about it. Now, up until recently, this was the right in the middle of the main card. It was going to happen right before the co-main event, which we just talked about, the women's strawweight fight. Uh, and before the you know the main event between Usman and Covington, uh, but the fight between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, which is going to be a barn burner, that was actually moved to the first fight of the main card 
I didn't know the backstory to it, James, until you told it to me before the show. Yeah, so I found out just reading uh, last night that Trevor Whitman has gone to the UFC, the trainer uh, for three of these fighters on, on, on this main card here, and went to the UFC and said, hey, look, I have back-to-back-to-back. I have Gaethje, um, I have Rose Namajunas, and, and Kamaru Usman, uh, two champs in the last two fights, uh, that I have to corner in back-to-back-to-back fights. That's a lot. You know, that's a lot to to give attention to, to, to the fighter that's waiting while being in the octagon for the fighter that's in there and, and et cetera. And, and so the UFC granted granted his uh, his wish and made uh, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, the, the first fight of the pay-per-view so he can corner that. And then he'll have two fights in between to get Rose uh, prepared. And then, you know, you can't avoid you got two title fights. You can't avoid those two going co-main and, and main events. So. So they granted him his wish. I think it was a good move by the UFC. Um, you know, Trevor Whitman's been doing a good job. He's not the type of person who's going to rock the boat or cause any controversy or dissension or anything. So he his his ask was a reasonable request, and the UFC thought so, obviously. And and uh, so it's a great way to kick off the pay per view. So I, yeah. I think there's you know that's that's kind of the people's main event. That's the fight that everybody's been looking forward to anyway. So why not make it first? Yeah, and you know, honestly, I don't I don't think that like card placement within a main card is that important because the people watching it have presumably already paid for it right yep. so it's yeah i can understand why for like the free tv shows like if you have a card on espn or espn2 why you're very deliberate on where you place the fights because you want to maximize viewership in every quarter hour but in a pay-per-view it's you either buy it or you don't right so it's not it's not a big difference uh, in fact i i kind of like it as a fight fan even if i've already paid the 70 bucks so i'm going to watch the whole thing no matter what it kind of gets you in the mood. Like when you get an excellent fight and you don't have to put this one last, of course, because there's no title on the lines, you get an excellent fight like this. Why not let it be the curtain jerker? Like why not it get you energized? It's going to get the crowd energized in the, in the arena, Madison square garden, the Mecca, the Mecca for sports. So it's going to get people going. And, and this fight I'll, I'll let, I'll give uh, Frank the first word uh, on the matchup and then James and I'll, I'll save the worst for last, and I'll give you my analysis at the end. Uh, but, you know, this fight, Justin Gaethje, a minus 210 favorite against Michael Chandler, former Bellator champ, you know, recently had a, a failed bid at the uh, the vacant lightweight title, you know, lost to uh, to Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler, the slight underdog at plus 165. Gaethje, the favorite at minus 210. Frank, who you got here, and are you expecting the fireworks that everyone thinks we get with this one? hundred percent. I'm expecting the fireworks a little similar. Well, a lot similar to the Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman cancellation of wrestling. Chandler is hyper aggressive. Justin Gaethje is unparalleled in his aggressiveness. Chandler and Gaethje's wrestling will negate it out. And it will be whether Chandler wants it to be or not a stand in the pocket and just exchange power shots. Gaethje's more durable. Gaethje knocks him out. I mean, it's going to happen quickly. I mean, if it makes it to the second round, I'll be stunned. Um, but, yeah, that's how I think this fight goes. Yeah, Gaethje, the durability thing is, I, I think, the key, you know, because both of them fight in firefights. Uh, it's just Gaethje has a stronger chin. Um, at this point, he can take more punishment, and he probably can dish out a little more punishment than Michael Chandler. Both of them can dish it, but I think Gaethje's a little stronger. Uh, you got to consider the leg kicks as well. Gaethje's leg kicks are, are unparalleled. Uh, second to none in his division. That that was really almost the key to giving Khabib some trouble. Uh, he was yeah. he was getting to Khabib's legs, uh, you know, in that first round or so uh, before Khabib took that shot and then got him on the ground and submitted him. So, um, so yeah, I, I, it's super exciting fight. I hope as a fan it goes more than a round or two. 
I hope it goes into the third round. I, I see a finish coming. I, I, I like Justin Gaethje in the fight. And, and uh, just one more note on Trevor Whitman. I don't know if there was any gamesmanship involved in this at all, but as a trainer, you would assume that he went to Justin Gaethje about this first and, and said, hey, maybe a couple weeks ago and said, hey, here's my challenge. You know, I have three fighters back to back to back. What do you think about moving up and fighting maybe an hour, hour and a half earlier yeah. without going to Michael Chandler, obviously, because he doesn't owe Michael Chandler to, to go to him with that. So right. I'm sure he went to, to Gaethje first. Gaethje probably said, okay, I'll prepare for that. I'll be ready an hour and a half earlier, warmed up. And Chandler probably didn't find out until, you know, two, three days before the fight. Oh no, now I got to get ready 90 minutes earlier um, to get into this firefight. So might've been a little bit of gamesmanship there, but I think Justin Gaethje wins either way. Yeah, I like that because you never know what sort of rituals fighters are going to have because I think timing is important, right? And you're, you're mentally you're mentally ready. You plan out your day like, oh, I'm probably going to hit the octagon around 11.30 p.m. Oh, now I'm going to hit the octagon right at 10 p.m. It, I think it makes but, sense. But wouldn't you agree, Alex and James, I mean, wouldn't you agree when you're facing something very stressful, you're very anxious about it, what could be more anxiety-riddled than going into an octagon under such stakes, you know, in a – in a fight like that, you just want to get it on. You know what I mean? I don't want to, yeah. the last thing I would want to do is sit around all night and wait for it. So yeah. I'm actually, I, I would be happy about it. I think most people would probably feel that way. Yeah. Let's just get it going. Let's just yeah. do it. And, and, you know, for, for how I, I think the fight is going to go, um, I don't know if I'm going to bet this fight, at least not a straight winner because I favor Gaethje, but at minus two twenty. I don't know because obviously when you've got a couple of heavy-handed individuals like this who are going to be swinging for the fences, there, there is a little bit of a risk to lay down, you know, 220 to win 100 back. There, there is some risk there. I do I do favor Justin Gaethje in this fight, and it comes down to what you guys have been saying, just the durability. I mean, he, he seems impossible to knock out, right? Whereas Michael Chandler, who, you know, may be a little bit more controlled and technical, uh, but his chin can be got. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you know, Michael Chandler's, uh, his most recent losses, and obviously these losses are spread out amongst a ton of wins, but if you look at Michael Chandler's most recent losses, his last fight, Charles Oliveira, lost by TKO. His previous loss, Patricio Pitbull in Bellator, he lost by TKO. Lost before that to Brent Primus, lost by TKO. To Will Brooks, his loss prior to that, he lost by TKO. So his four previous losses have all been by stoppage, his chin can be got at. Gaethje seems virtually invincible from a chin standpoint. I mean, maybe he can be submitted. I don't think, uh, I don't think Chandler is going to be the guy to do that on this occasion. So I, I'm going to take the guy who packs more power, which is the case in Justin Gaethje, and has the more durable chin. I, I think that's always the safe bet when you head into a fight. You know, it's going to be a firefight, right? Give me the guy who's got the better chin and the heavier hands. That's probably the one who's going to win a firefight. So, yeah, for, for those reasons, uh, I, I am going to go with Justin Gaethje. And I, I want to go over a few more of the odds uh, from these fights, and then we can talk a little bit about uh, about the other fights on the main card, including the Ageless one himself, Frankie Edgar, who's fighting. But, you know, we, we talked about the main event. Uh, I'm looking at uh, BetUS.com. Colby Covington, the plus 250 underdog. And guys, even though like I, I did confidently pick Kamaru Usman to win, same deal at minus three fifty odds. Uh, unless I'm down on the night and then I'm chasing at the end of it, I might say, you know, let, let, let me put uh, let me put some big chips on Kamaru Usman to try to win some money back. I actually did that the the night that he knocked out Gilbert Burns. 
I was having a really bad betting card, and I wasn't planning on betting on Usman because he was like minus 310 or 320, and I don't necessarily like to take those odds, but I was doing so poorly, I'm like, he's going to win. Let, let, me, let me put down big money. Let me chase my losses on Usman. And he nearly lost. Like, Gilbert yeah. Burns caught him, and oh, I was, <laughs> I was sweating bullets. I'm like, oh, no. I would have been down so bad if Usman had lost that fight. But then Usman did come back and win the fight, and I made all, I made all my losses back on that. So unless I'm chasing, I'm not going to bet Usman at minus 350. And conversely, even though I am officially picking Usman to win the fight, you know, there's some value there on Colby Covington. So if, if I am of the mind, I'm not, but if I were of the mind of Frank and James that Covington's going to get his hand raised here, you got to love those odds, guys, at plus 250. Like, you got to, if you were to put down, you know, whatever whatever multiple you're using, but if you put down 100 bucks, you're winning 250 back if he gets his hand raised. That's a good return. Yeah, definitely value, definitely value in Colby with this. Uh, I don't think this is a 300 level fight. It's more like a 180 you know, plus 140 or 120 kind of fight, minus 180 Usman or something. The, the odds are way too high. These people obviously didn't watch the first fight. Or yeah. I, I I guess with, with Vegas betting lines, they're trying to make the lines based on getting money on both sides. But so they figure everybody's seen Kamaru Usman just run rough shot through the division the last three or four fights. So more money is going to be on his side. Let's raise the stakes higher. But really, from a, I think from a smart money standpoint, from an MMA money standpoint, it I think it is worth putting you know putting plus uh, two fifty on on Kobe. I think those are really good odds for him. You're right, uh, obviously, about the strategy uh, that uh, Vegas sets up these lines with. But there's also the reality that they're just not that in tune with this sport yet. And I think you still see lines that are inappropriate as a consequence of that. I think to, I think some of these guys are just doing it as an assignment when they're normally doing college football or something. So, you know, oh, he knocked out George Masvidal. His boxing's great. And Colby hasn't fought in a while, so he's going to annihilate him. You know, and he beat him last time, and that's it. And I think the line reflects that. So I agree with you. I think this is like – this is one of those things where if you follow the sport, you yeah. really have the jump on the sharps out there. I mean, if you know the sport, this is this is a fight to make money on. Yep. Yeah, no, no doubt. And but I do see from an odd standpoint, uh, as someone who favors Wei Li Zhang against Rosanama Yunus, I'm definitely betting on the co-main event because the odds are razor close there. They're both just in the minus. Wei Li Zhang, the ever so it's basically a pick'em fight, but Zhang mm -hmm. at minus 120, Rosanama Yunus at minus 110. Obviously, we know the outcome of the first fight. It was Thug Rose by knockout, so you have to respect that. We know she's capable of ending a fight in the blink of an eye. I just think, as, as James put it so well, uh, Wei Li Zhang is a machine, and I'm not going to count on her getting caught uh, in the second fight. I, I, I think Zhang is going to win this fight. I feel pretty good about it. So minus 120 on Wei Li Zhang, I feel great about it. Well, you know, I have to decide if I want to do anything in the main event. Maybe I'll look for a prop. In the co-main event, I am backing up the Brinks truck on Wheeling. <laughs> I, I actually agree with that. I think that's a good, you know, it's basically a pick em fight. Um, and as far as Vegas is, is concerned. So, man, I'm liking these odds. I'm, I'm not a better, but, I mean, if I was a better, this is the kind of card I would get into. I think I could actually make some pretty good money by, you know, using your strategy, betting a lot on a co-main event, and then probably yeah. taking, taking Colby plus plus points with a little less less money involved but still taking them plus uh two and a half to one now and i don't I think, know i wouldn't want to go any i wouldn't want to go anywhere near this 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 uh other title fight with 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 it being a pick em, in my mind as well as how the what the odds reflect i mean i just i don't know who's going to win this fight i just don't have any strong opinion but you apparently do alex so 
Yeah, I, f- I feel pretty strongly yeah. about uh, about Weili Zhang. Uh, Brett, the movie guy, wrote in, going back to the line for the main event, what the line doesn't know is Colby and Usman are coming into this fight with completely new camps and different game plans. Uh, yeah, the, the game plan part, it, it's yet to be seen. We we were, and I think I think Brett was already in at that. I think he's been in for the entire show, so he saw the conversation. Like, we were, we were kind of debating that, uh, and James brought up a good point in that since Usman won the first fight, there might be more of an emphasis for Colby to adjust. And if Usman is approaching it that way, I for his sake, I hope he's not because, you know, the fight was close enough that I think he's got to be thinking to try to be one step ahead of Colby. Like, I, if I were Usman, it's probably the wrong idea to approach this fight and say, I'm just going to do what got me here and I'm going to do the same sort of stuff I did in the first fight and I'll be fine. He's got to adjust to me. I don't know about that strategy because if Colby Covington is making big adjustments, I think it's it's the uh, it's the job of Usman and Trevor Whitman, you know, to be saying whatever adjustments we think he's going to make, we need to adjust for that. Like you've always that's how you stay a champion in this sport is to be a step or two ahead of the opposition. Alex, if and James, if if Kamaru Usman is successful against Colby with his power, and we I think that's how he wants to be successful. Yeah, don't you think we could forget about George St. Pierre? right away because if you suddenly have a dominant welterweight champion who's finishing fights remember george st pierre he wasn't the finisher he was the safe fighter i mean i think you have that kamaru uzman is on the precipice of making us forget george st pierre completely i mean certainly for the casual fan he's i mean it's electrifying what he can do with that power let, let, let me ask you a, a couple of legacy questions like yep. um because you know i i'm old enough to remember when BJ Penn was considered the lightweight goat, but I, I would say Habib Nurmagomedov made made most people forget about BJ, and he surpassed that legacy. Um, so, would you look at that way? I mean, to what Frank is just talking about, James, I'll, I'll go to you first on this one. Do you think Do you think Usman is maybe one or two dominant wins away from clearly surpassing GSP, or is GSP going to still be at least a debate for a while on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be debatable for a while. But the, the style in which he's winning, Frank, I, I think that's a very good point. Uh, but I just think there's something to nostalgia to where people aren't. I mean, there's some people that think GSP is the greatest of all time. You know, people that might, you know, say, hey, John Jones has a lot of controversy, picograms, whatever, you know, element they want to throw in there to discredit John Jones. And a lot of people will put, uh, you know, be, uh, George St. Pierre at number two, uh, maybe with or right behind Anderson Silva, maybe. But. Um, but yeah, I man, it, I I, I want to see Kamaru Usman probably if he if he wins in dominant fashion, maybe two or three more fights, then I, I think I think he might surpass. I, I, it's sad to say this, but I need to see him beat Chamayev. If he beats, oh, Chim- I like it. I like it. If he oh. beats, if he continues his reign, you know, and, and wins this fight against Colby, maybe has to fight a Leon Edwards or something after that. And then has the the up and coming new machine that's coming through the division, and he he puts a stop to that. Then I think that really submits uh, you know Kamaru Usman as as the greatest welterweight ever. Um, but as far as overall, you got to give GSP credit too. He went up in a weight class and beat uh, and beat uh, uh, what's his name Bisbane. Yes, he beat Bisbane and won another title, another weight class. Kamaru Usman probably is not going to do that, especially with uh, Izzy. Um, Adesanya's friend as the champion in the upper weight class. So you're probably not going to see that. Uh, so you got to give him credit for that overall. But in terms of welterweight, I, I want to see him win two or three more fights. And I need to see him fight Chemayev, uh as that last statement fight if he's James, truly the greatest. 
James, if you're right, okay, and he and he, he were to beat Colby, so you said three more, so beat Colby, beat Edwards, and then beat Shemaev. Yep. He now would have the longest winning streak to start a career in the UFC wow. of any fighter that's ever competed. He would, at that point, be, I believe, at 17, Anderson Silva at 16, Khabib back at 13. And then it's, he's the greatest in any division, in my opinion. Because I think a little too much emphasis is placed on title defenses. And I think mm -hmm. the really sacred record in our sport is you start in the sport, you start in the UFC, how many wins do you rattle off? Because everyone you're facing is, you know, among the best in the world. And he's right now in between Khabib and Anderson Silva. By, by the way, I just want to give people an update. I, I think uh, momentarily Dean Thomas is going to hop in. As soon as, as, assuming he's got a good enough connection, he, he's actually in New York City at a barber shop, he told me. This guy's jet-setting. I mean, he's sometimes <laughs> he's in Port St. Lucie or Palm Beach. He was over in Abu Dhabi. I actually, guys, I don't know if I told you on or off the show that last week, uh, you know, early afternoon before we went on at, at 6 o'clock last Thursday, I sent Dean a text to see if he could join us and preview UFC 267. Silly me, I didn't realize he's probably out in Abu Dhabi. And it was the middle of the night there. I, I think he forgot to turn his ringer off. So he wrote back, he's like, no, I'm in bed in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Just hit he didn't write anything after that. I'm like, oh, man, I felt so bad. Uh, so he's in New York City today. I think he'll be joining us momentarily. But James... You brought up uh, Hamza Chemaev. Can we talk about him for a second? Because yes, he, he comes back from a really long COVID-19 layoff during which he wasn't even sure if he was going to fight again. He thought about retirement. And, like, he was a, a big favorite in this fight against Lee Jiang Lang. Um, but still, like, that was a tough opponent. And we thought this is going to be a good kind of litmus test, good measuring stick from him coming back from a long layoff. Not only did he win... It was an absolute steamrolling. Like he, I mean, immediately he he gets Jingliang's back and just drags him around like a rag doll, and then you know eventually chokes him out and actually literally choked him out. Like didn't get a tap. He was unconscious. He was asleep. Like you saw, uh, Li Jingliang was like they, they brought in like three officials and doctors. Like I'm like, oh my god, is he dead? He wasn't dead. Thank goodness. But, I mean, that was just a systematic destruction. And, obviously, it didn't really it didn't really tell us anything about his cardio after the long layoff or, you know, his well-roundedness. It was completely one-sided, grappling, just destruction, ragdolling, domination. But, you know, I've, I've, I've been watching Hamza Chemaev long enough to know that this guy has the makings of a future champion, right? I mean, it, it might only be a matter of when, not if, that guy's holding a belt. Yeah, and kudos to the UFC for building him up the right way. You know, they, they could have rushed him through. They could have taken the Johnny Walker approach or some of these other prospects that have come up and they give him like top five fights too early and they lose and then they never really regain their confidence. Um, they, they've pretty much put him up against, uh, you know, guys outside the top 10 the entire time and, and really build him up. And yeah, he's steamrolling through all those guys. But let's be honest, if Kamaru Usman was fighting the 14th ranked guy and the 15th and 16th, and 11th ranked guy in the division, Kamal Usman will be steamrolling those guys, um, you know, as well. Uh, but no one really is, is is talking about that. Everybody's talking about Shamayev's uh, dominance over these guys, as, as as he should be. So he's doing what he's supposed to do uh, as as probably the biggest prospect in the UFC. He will be the next big star as long as he doesn't lose. Um, and the fact that he can lift the guy up, talk to the people at ringside while he's lifting the guy up, 
uh, just has that level of confidence and then throws him down and just, you know, puts him to sleep. Uh, you know, he's he's a scary guy. He's, he's I mean, Kamal, he definitely has Kamal Usman's attention, even though he hasn't beaten anyone inside the top 10. That's why I think he needs to fight somebody. I, I mean, who cares about the name recognition of Nate Diaz? I just don't think that does anything for his ranking. I don't think that puts him anywhere closer to the top. He needs to fight a guy that's going to put him in the top five or top four. And then right there, he'll be a, a legitimate threat uh, to Usman. You can't give a guy a title shot this rank you know, 10th or 9th or whatever he might be in the division right now. You got to give him, a, you know, you got to get him up there to, to be in, in the top three before he gets a title shot. What if they put him in against both Nick and Nate at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> He'd still win probably. <laughs> but does that move him up into the top five? No, I, I, I really think that it, it benefits him to be to be matched up with Nate. I know you disagree with me, but I just think, you know, he, his, his ability and, and where he should be, they can they can fix those rankings. I mean, they're just manipulated by the UFC anyway. But yeah. they need him to be marketable. And I think if he obliterates uh, Nate Diaz, as he most assuredly would, uh, that puts him in a good position to fight somebody in the top five and, you know, sell a pay-per-view or, or probably, what, headline a free one? Probably be the next step yeah. for him. Yeah. yeah. That'll probably be Nate Diaz, I guess. By the way, I wanted I wanted us to answer this question from Brett, the movie guy, and I'm I'm thinking about it because initially I thought, oh, this is my clear answer. I don't know. He says, which fight would you guys want now, Usman versus GSP or Hamzat versus Usman? I, I know he's been out of the game for a little while here, but I also know he keeps himself in, in impeccable shape, and he's he's teased maybe a comeback, like he was interested in fighting Habib. I, th- I think I would want uh, GSP versus Usman because then at least you get to like talk about, oh, greatest of all time versus future GOAT. Well, let me bring in a GOAT. We'll, we'll circle back to this one. Let me bring in the man, the myth, the legend. I feel so bad that I bo- I bothered you in the middle of the night in Abu Dhabi last week, but I, I forgot you were probably over there man, on the other side of the world. No, coop. I'm in the middle <laughs> of Abu Dhabi trying to handle my business, and you calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize deeply sir uh it's the, i don't know I, I don't feel like there's ever a great time to text dean thomas because he's so busy like he's either he's doing ringside commentary he's coaching he's doing reality tv he's hobnobbing with dana white i think you just always got to know that if you're going to start blowing up dean thomas's phone there's probably not a good time so you just have to do it how are you sir are you, are you are you jet lagged at all coming back no i'm not jet lagged at all Man, I run on discipline. I'm never motivated to do anything, but I run on discipline. But let me tell you this. You're right about this. Anytime, and I always tell people this, anytime is as good or as bad as in any other time to call me. So just call me because it's going to be good <laughs> or bad. It don't matter. That's what I'm telling you, man. I, I figured that much. Uh, you know, I, I do, I do want to ask you a couple of questions uh, looking back to last week, but we like to look forward here as well and we have UFC 268 coming up this Saturday at Madison Square Garden and we got a rematch we've got the champ Kamaru Usman uh fighting Colby Covington for the second time the first time they fought uh, about 18 months ago it was actually really close until Usman knocked him out Colby was doing pretty well for himself our panelists split on this one Dean uh Frank and James both have Covington edging it out I've got Kamara Usman. Uh, to me, I think he's going to look even more uh, dominant than he did the first fight. I'm, I'm thinking a second or a third round stoppage. He's very good in rematches. He's clearly gotten better with his hands and with his power. So break break the virtual tie here, Dean. Do you like Usman this weekend or Colby? I like Usman this weekend. Oh! Yeah. And here's why. 
Um, I think it's a completely different fight than the first time. I think the first time they fought were, was based on emotion. And both of them fought very emotionally. I don't think they fought their best fights. I thought they just went out there. They stood in front of each other and boxed. And Usman's the longer guy, which is why he won. But Usman's not the greatest pure boxer in the world, but just a little bit better than Kobe. But I think this is a different fight. But one thing that I look at when I look at fighters is the trajectory of how they improve. And if we look at Usman, through the years, you can see Usman's improvements, like, drastically. And you can identify, like, all the things that he's gotten better at. And even up until his last couple of fights, he's gotten better at just judging distance and timing and his accuracy. Colby, on the other hand, is to me still the same fighter that he's always been, a pressure fighter. You know, he he's a volume fighter. But I don't know if he's gotten better. His opponents haven't even really gotten better. They've gotten older. And you look at his, his opponents that he's kind of washed out. So, and I, and I think Colby's a very good fighter. He's a damn good fighter. But I just don't know if he's going to have what it takes to get past Usman, a better version of Usman. Hey, hey Dean, I want to ask you about the, the first fight on the card now, now that it's been moved, uh, Michael Chandler against Justin Gaethje. A as a fighter, if you're moved up about an hour and a half, and I'm just guessing, but there's two fights, you know, depending on the finishes and all that kind of stuff, but you, you were the, you were the, it's kind of the fight after the co-main and now you're the first fight. As a fighter, does that change your schedule at all? Um, no, a, no, no. In fact, they're probably more happy now that they're going to get it over with sooner. So I think that's better for them. And plus, even for Gaethje, like Gaethje at some level is probably happy that he's getting full attention from Trevor Whitman and full his full people behind him as opposed to like rushing back from Rose and then trying to get to him. So I think this works out better for Gaethje and for Chandler. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it works out for Chandler as well, too. Like, Chandler is just like, you know what, I get to get it over it and then enjoy the rest of the fight card. So um, this is better for me. It's, and it's one thing if they made the change, like, the day of, then you're like, oh! But, like, they had enough time to, to really adjust to what they think is um going to be good for them. Dean, can I ask you about your timing? Because when they come to you, when they throw to you during the pay-per-view and they ask you, you know, what you're seeing – do they give you any kind of heads up they're going to be coming to you soon? Because you always nail it. And oh. I'm just curious how <laughs> yeah, that works. Good point. No, so you see like a red I'm, light go on or something? No, yeah. no. It's like um, I'm constantly evaluating what's going on. And sometimes, like, if I have something really good, I'll just tell them, hey, listen, put me on. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But I, I'm constantly evaluating the whole thing and just watching and listening to them and seeing what they may not be seeing. And i tell you right now, man, and I'm going to tell you now, when Paul Felder and D Paul Felder and DC are on, it's very difficult for me to find stuff that they don't already see, especially uh -huh. Paul Felder. He's so good at that because he's, you know, he's not far removed from, from the fight game himself. So he sees everything. Uh, Joe Rogan, not so much. You know, he's so far <laughs> removed from the fight game, he doesn't see much. So it's easier to, to come in when he's there. No, and that's I not a knock that. on Joe. He's sure, Joe's sure. still a goat, but he's just yeah. well. And, and I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about that fight itself. You know, between Gaethje and Chandler. Uh, you know, the expectation from a fan is no matter who you think is going to win or who's going to want to win, we're expecting them to put on a show. I mean, this is going to be fireworks a couple of guys who you know who have wrestling backgrounds but are probably going to choose not to wrestle and just sling their hands for however long it takes before somebody takes a dirt nap 
And uh, and I, I think, guys, if I'm not mistaken, we we the three of us we were we were unanimous on Gaethje, right? We didn't have uh, we didn't have a dissenting one on that. You know, we look at Gaethje being the more durable guy. I think being very important because not not that Michael Chandler loses often, but all of his previous four losses were by TKO, and Gaethje seems like a zombie. He's impossible to knock out, and probably throws with more power as well. So we're looking at Gaethje. Uh, how do you see this fight playing out, Dean? And who do you think gets their hand raised? Yeah, I mean, I can't count Chandler out because he's a big puncher. Yeah. Um, but, And that's most likely his best path of victory is to punch with Gaethje. But that's also what's going to get him in trouble because we know that Gaethje's more durable than Chandler. So, like, if they throw shots and they both start getting hit with big shots, you know, Chandler's going to feel it more, I think. So he can't – he has to be – he has to be careful. But – the one thing we know about Gaethje is that his losses have come from him being outboxed. Besides being outgrappled, he was outboxed. But I don't know if Chandler has the boxing ability to outbox him. He's got punching power, but I don't know if he can outbox Gaethje. So I'm leaning towards Gaethje for these reasons. It's just like he's got an easier path of victory, in my opinion, over Chandler. But Chandler can get it done. He's got to catch him and hurt him and, and uh, hope to not get caught himself. Hey, Dean, you were talking about seeing Usman's trajectory and how much he's improved. Have you seen anything like that with Gaethje? I feel like I have, but I'd like to get your opinion on it. I mean, I think he's gotten a little bit more patient and um, a little bit more calculated and, and less wild and fighting for the fans. And that has probably has a lot to do with the training that Trevor Whitman does with them and his dedication towards his athletes. You know, like when you've seen, you know, when he when he just totally focused on those guys. Like you, you see them getting better. And I think that has a lot to do with it, man. Like we, you don't realize how much attention to detail plays a, a big factor in this. And when these guys are getting that much attention and their coaches are scrutinizing that much, you're, you're just, you're going to get better. And that's the problem. That's part of the problem. What I think some of these other fighters is that they're going up against guys that are getting all the attention. I mean, you can be good, but if you're just in a room with good people, you're making mistakes every day that you're never getting corrected on. And I don't care how much you do it and, and how much push you're getting and how much hard training it was. If you're making mistakes, you're making mistakes and they're going to come out in the fight. But a good person is going to capitalize on their mistakes. So you need that attention. Yeah, good points, Dean. And, and, and the co-main event is another fight that we've kind of disagreed on and not really sure how to scout it lasted less than two minutes. I mean, what did we really learn from the first uh, Whaley fight versus Rose that we can take into this second fight? The only thing we learned in that first fight is that Rose can win. Yeah. Because true. going into that fight, I didn't even think Rose could win. I was like, man, she's going to get beat up. I didn't think she could win. But now we know that Whaley is human, <laughs> first <laughs> off. I mean, she looked kind of human <laughs> towards Joanna, but, I mean, she was just so awesome in that fight that we forgot. But – um, we know that she's human and we know that Rose has the ability to put her down. Um, but I still like Rose or I still like Whaley in the pocket. You know, like when she's in the pocket, man, yeah. she's dangerous. You know, she's a power puncher in the pocket and Rose has to be careful with that. Yeah, we're joined here by nine-time UFC veteran, coach to the stars, commentator of the stars. Dean Thomas is with us. Uh, you know, Dean, I, I did want to look back uh, at last week out in Abu Dhabi. 
Um, I, I know that the three of us were were surprised not only by Glover Teixeira winning the belt, but also just how dominant he looked. I mean, that was an incredible performance from a 42-year-old man that I, I, I thought it was going to be a lopsided fight against him, and he put on, you know, the performance of his career. Uh, did, did that surprise you at all? And I ask you that. I already see you shaking your head because it, it, and I need to come to Dean for more betting advice because you're, you're usually like – No, don't, don't come to me. <laughs> don't, listen, I can tell you how they should win, but I can't execute for them. So, like, that's the thing. Uh, fair enough. Um, that fight didn't surprise me at all. In fact, that was how I saw it going. Mm. Yeah. I You know, Jan Blachowicz is a good fighter, but he's also an old man himself. That's true. He has an old man fighting style, the same as Glover does, but Glover's better, and he proved it. He's better on the ground. He was smarter on the feet, and his takedowns were – and, you know, Jan's not a wrestler. Jan's a jiu-jitsu guy, so Jan can't really stop a shot. So Glover was just – he's a better fighter than Jan. I think Jan – you know, Glover wins that fight nine out of ten times. Wow. And so it doesn't surprise me. And at some level – like the whole place was so happy for Glover. Yeah. And even I think Jan was. <laughs> I, yeah. I think Jan was like, if I'm going to lose, I'm glad I lost to this guy. What a great story. This guy yes. just beat me. I think, I think when he got when he got taken down and he gave up his back, I think he almost kind of was just like, it's better that this guy wins and becomes champion. It's a bigger story. So like <laughs> it almost felt like that. But I will say this though. Oh man. I don't think Glover beats Yuri Prohashka. No, there's so no way he gets past him because there's a definite speed uh, disadvantage that he's going to have that he didn't have against Jan because Jan's an old man too. Jan's what, 37, 38 years old. So like they're relatively the same speed. But when we talk about Yuri Pahashka, like his speed is going to be the difference in this fight. And I, you're going to see a 42 year old man in there against a, a real fast dude. It's going to be it could be ugly. We, we always love the insight from Dean Thomas. I mean, a few days ago, he's in United Arab Emirates. I think he's in New York City today. He was telling me he's all over the world, all over the country. Dean, let people know, man, where they can follow you, social media, and 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 I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see you at UFC 268 if you have anything else you want to promote. Well, I'm going to be at UFC 268. I'm doing the morning weigh-in show tomorrow, and you guys can watch that on YouTube, uh, UFC's YouTube channel and on Fight Pass. Then I'll be on the broadcast analyzing. But um, other than that, just follow me on all my social media at Dean Thomas. Dean spelled D-I-N Thomas. I love it, man. Well, enjoy enjoy the travel, and uh, we'll be seeing you out there. I mean, he's already in NYC set for the weekend. Have a great card, my friend. All right, and Frank, I ain't forget about you. I'm still gonna kick your butt. All right. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in contact with you. And listen, I know, like you said, there there's never a bad time to call you. So just. It might be 4 a.m. It might be 4 p.m. Just be on That's the lookout for it because we got to set same. this up. <laughs> All right. Uh, good stuff there from Dean. And, man, we, we go rapid fire. You know, we talk about – so Dean is in New York City ready for UFC 268. Our guy J-Rod, who um, I you know I love him, but I'm also so envious because this guy, this guy gets to jet set to all the big fights. He's out in Vegas. Vegas, baby! For Canelo and Plant. J-Rod, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, fellas. What's going on? Yes, it's uh, it's life is much better three hours earlier than it is here in Las Vegas. Yeah. Can, can I jump in right away? Can I sure. jump in right? I've been waiting to talk to you. We haven't gotten to boxing yet, but I gotta ask you: Could this repeat? I just found out that this was true. That the last time Canelo was up against a major UFC pay per view 
It was in 2019 when Masvidal fought Nate Diaz. And they held Canelo and his opponent in the locker room, made them wait. Yes, because- I remember that. Yeah. So here that they are again. That is 100% correct. That is one, and, it, and it's in the same arena that it, that it was last time at the MGM Grand Arena. Because, listen, it's the smallest venue. They, this fight was so late to get to because T-Mobile Arena, where we usually do the big fights, there's the Bull Riders, uh, uh, you know, the, the, NP, the, the PBRs going on there. The Rolling Stones are at the Raiders concert, so that's out. So there's there's no room, and all of a sudden, here we are at MGM Grand, the, the grand old lady, uh, the grand dam of arenas. Yes, and I was actually producing that fight for the zone. And yes, we had to wait a damn hour because yeah. Canelo did not want to walk up against that fight. And I don't blame him. And, and at one point, guys, they actually put on the UFC fight in the arena while we were waiting. So people were watching the UFC fight. They were watching Masvidal. And then when that ended, then Canelo came out. That is 100% correct. Any chance that happens again? Any chance they do this again? Mm, No, I I think, I think, I think the, I think Showtime will be, will be a little better. Remember, this is also pay-per-view. So I think at this point, it wasn't pay-per-view technically at the time. So I, I I think it, I think they'll, they'll time it a little better. I hope so. I, I, cause we had to really sing and dance for an hour and we weren't expecting to fill for an hour. Yeah. Well, and and it's, I think this, this is, uh, this is something interesting because we were, we were just talking about, you know, a great story for Glover Teixeira in the UFC. You want to talk about an incredible story, the story of Caleb Plant. I mean, bro, th- th- this guy's life story, you want to talk about adversity. I mean, the, the way that he lost his mother, the way that he lost his mm-hmm. 18-month-old daughter. I mean, dude, it's like <laughs> just un- unbelievable for, for him to get on the other side of all of that misery and the tough upbringing, you know, to, to become – you know, the successful man that he is today, uh, you know, with that said, for as incredible a, of a story as Caleb Plant is, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I don't think he has too much of a chance in the fight. But but let's talk a little bit about that first, Jim, in, in Caleb Plant, because when, when people see this guy, and I've had a chance to interview him before, uh, not before this fight, but before his fight with, uh, with Caleb Truax. And look, I, I was just really blown away. I had an incredible time talking with him. He's a really confident guy, and it doesn't seem like uh, you know the the big moments in boxing phase him. And I can understand why they don't phase him. You know, being all that he's gone through in his life, I'm sure he's not scared of Canelo, given all the adversity he's had to come through. So, you know, for for someone like yourself, who you know you produce and you dive headfirst into these stories, being able to cover a guy like Caleb Plant, you don't always get someone with just this much meat on the bone when it comes to unbelievable stories to tell. Yeah, and, and, and what what kind of throws me a little bit is, again, there's so much for him to be angry about. There's so much for him to be damaged about. And yet there is kind of like a – there's a calmness. There's kind of a peace to him. You know, it, it's sort of a it, – it, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy, if you will. And I think, I think an important thing for him is who he's married to. He's married to Jordan Plant, who is a boxing commentator. She works for Fox. Uh, she works for PBC as well. So I think that, you know, maybe there's some media training. There's some way to be able to speak to the media. And, and every time I've engaged with him, he's been very 
I wouldn't say confrontational, but he will engage you. If you ask him a question, he'll be like, well, yeah, well, what do you think about that? Where, you know, when we asked him about him, you know, talking about Canelo's, you know, and, and, and Eddie Reynoso and all the, and all the, you know, the steroid talk and everything like that, he said, hey, am I, am I, am I telling a lie? Isn't there steroids in that camp? What do you think? And he kind of puts it on us. And I think he's a brilliant strategist in that sense of how to deal with the media. And I don't know how much Jordan Plants had to do with it, but I love talking to him because you come out of it thinking, wow, this is a guy that could probably do what we do when he decides uh, beating up, you know, stop beating up people. Now, Jim, we, we've talked a lot about legacy today on the MMA side. I'm just curious to your thoughts on Canelo's legacy. Like, you know, he lost young to Mayweather. He's been dominant, pretty dominant all around since. Where, where does, I mean, where, where does his legacy stand with you? What does he have left to prove at this point? Um, does he have still more room to go um, at the tail end of his career? I think he's got plenty more to go to. I mean, I think I think right now, and they mentioned it yesterday at the press conference, he has, he has graduated from trying to be the best Mexican fighter ever to now trying to be one of the best fighters ever. Forget forget where they're from. And I think he's at that point, and he's very concentrated on making history. I mean, right now he is, you know, he is he he is Thanos looking for that last infinity stone to 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 unify at 168. And then he's done with that, then you go up to 175. Remember that fight where we had to wait for an hour? He won the 175 belt here. You know, so he's already had his he's dipped his toe in the water there. He's very smart. There's a lot of guys waiting for him at 175. And still there's still guys at 168, like David Vinny. Benavides, maybe Charlo wants to get in there as well. So I think there's plenty for him to get to. He's not he's not done, but I think what he wants to do is maybe, hey, champion at 154, champion at 60, champion at 168, champion at 75. So I think there's still more. There's still more hurdles to climb, and he is so into the training. He's so, I've never seen a guy so committed. He's never out of shape. You know, even when he's not fighting, he's never out of shape. He's always ready to go. The golf that he's into, I think, keeps his mind right and lets him then go just be completely evil and mean and, and, and hurt people and then comes back and plays golf. I think there's still a lot of Canelo left. Now, I, I got to ask you, uh, J-Rod, because, of course, Jim Rodriguez, uh, he also hosts Five Reasons to Bet. And, man, we, we I, I'm, I'm so lucky to have people in my life like J-Rod, uh, Lee Sterling, Barry Barger, my friends from the Daily Stakes. So I, I need you to help us find some value here in this fight. Now, now, if, if in the off chance, I, I don't know if you are, if you are picking Caleb Plant, then people can get incredible odds on that. But for those who are in the Canelo yeah, camp, yeah. you're looking at – you know, minus 900 or even minus 1,000 I've seen in some places. So this is the type of fight, J-Rod, where we're probably looking for props, yes? Yeah, you know, the one thing that I do like, I like the over-under rounds. It's nine and a half. Now, Canelo said he's going to – he he actually said this. He's like, I'm going to end this uh, six, six to eight rounds. I'm going to end this. But I think this is going to get into the 10th round. I think 10th. The tenth round seems to be the magic round there, and I love over nine and a half. You, and you, you know, you're minus one ten, so you're not paying a lot of juice on it. Ten cents on the dollar. Um, I love that Canelo wins in the tenth round. It's eleven to one. I like that. I like either fighter wins in the tenth round. It's ten to one. So I think we're going to get into the championship round. I think Caleb Plant, not because I think Caleb Plant's going to pull a, a a sort of a page out of Mayweather's book. And that I think Caleb Plant, what he does really well is he moves. He can he can dodge, and you could see it all through his training. They were working a lot on moving, making him walk. You know, 
dodging and making him walk around, making Canelo walk around that ring. That's what Mayweather did. Now, no one's Mayweather. No one's going to be able to do it. And eventually, Canelo's going to get to Caleb Plant, and he's going to hit him with those, with those body shots. But I think, I think it's going to have to be trying to wear Canelo down, make him walk around that ring, make him run around that ring, and then hit him with the body to try to just see if those hands come down. That's the only chance I think uh, Caleb Plant's got. But I see, I see rounds on this. I really do. I love it. Jim Rodriguez, he's out in Vegas on location for Canelo versus Plant. Uh, let people know, do you, do you have any five reasons to bets coming up before the weekend? And where can people find you on social media? Well, there, there's one right now. We've got about 30 minutes before we get Thursday night football for that, that, that classic old AFC East showdown between the Jets and the Colts. Mike White, white insanity. I don't think you should. Yeah. By the way, I don't think anybody should be saying white insanity. We've had too much white insanity in the world. Let's look for white insanity. <laughs> Okay, please, please, no white sanity, you know. Uh, but I, I think you know Mike White's jersey's in the Hall of Fame, so you know the number, the number with the show. You know, we got Taylor Mathis, we got we got Alf, we got Ethan Skolnick, and myself. You know, it's it's Colts minus ten, forty-five yeah. and a half. So what did we pick? You can go right now to Five Reasons Sports Network. You can get our picks uh, and get into the Thursday night delight. By the way, our girl Taylor Math is 12 and two picking Thursday night games this year. She's blowing us out of the water. 12 and two. So she's got to know what she's doing. Go, go, go hit us up here on five reasons to bet and you can get her picks and get all our picks. And what we think tonight for Jets Colts. Oh, maybe she needs to be my new. And no white insanity. <laughs> no white insanity. <laughs> Thank you so much. Stay around. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the fights. She's killing it. Jeez. All right, boys, be good. Wow. All right, guys, but before we get out of here, let's quickly go through our kudos and complaints for this episode. I'll keep my kudos uh, very simple. I'm giving my kudos to the UFC. I mean, we've, we've complained for a lot of weeks about filler fight cards. Uh, the UFC is giving us four title fights, even though one of them was, you know, uh, whatever was it, an interim title. It's stupid, but still – Four title fights in an eight-day span. I'm giving my kudos to the UFC. James, I'll go to you next. Man, you stole my kudos. But, yeah, I was going to say, this has been a, a great seven days for the UFC. Uh, two pay-per-view <clears throat> quality cards, and they didn't even charge you for the first card. So you're really getting uh, two pay-per-views for the price of one in amount of the seven days. I don't know if there will ever be a stretch for a long time uh, of, of that, you know, two pay-per-view level cards that, and you're getting one for free. So kudos to the UFC. Sorry, Alex, you stole mine, but all good. <laughs> all good. Frank, what about you? Uh, my kudos goes to Glover Teixeira. I mean, when old guys are successful in sports, they're not supposed to be able to continue being successful at, at their age. I always celebrate that. So kudos to the old man from Danbury. I love it. All right. So my complaint, uh, it's it's a petty one. Uh, and this is kind of the opposite of Frank's kudos. My complaint is Jan Blahovich for blowing up a five fight parlay that would have won me a good chunk of change. Uh, I come down to the main event having hit four out of five. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy work here. Jan Blahovich, you got he lost. Oh, no. <laughs> so luckily, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't spend too much money on the parlay, but I would have won a lot of money. On the parlay. So my complaint is Jan Blahovic, who didn't look like he got off the plane in Abu Dhabi for that fight. So what about you, James? Uh, my complaint, complaint goes to Colby Covington. Um, I'm a fan of him as a fighter, but man, he does say some cringe things. Uh, this week, it was at the end of his rant, but he ended up talking about Dustin Poirier's wife and his kid. Completely unnecessary, completely over the line, completely random. I mean, I know they have beats, but I mean, his focus should be on Usman anyway right now. So 
talking about Adesanya, talking about Poirier's family. So it's just really out of line, and it, he doesn't need it. I mean, he can play the villain in more creative ways than to cross the line in, in that way. And usually he is fairly creative, but I, I just didn't like that, you know, talking about another fighter's family. It's just unnecessary. My complaint is with Showtime and with the UFC for making me have to spend $1,000 in one day, and I'll miss something in either event. I mean, I don't understand why in the hell they have to pick the same. What's wrong with the 13th? Why can't Canelo fight on the 13th? I don't understand what's going on. So, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's absurd and it's infuriating. This is a historic boxing match and one of the best UFC cards in a long time. What's a fight fan to do? Well said. That'll do it for us. Uh, huge thanks to uh, to everybody who joined us live or if you're joining us on the replay on YouTube. Do us a favor and smash the like button. Please hit the thumbs up button for us. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Five Reasons Sports Network on YouTube. Not only can you get combat sports content from the three of us and from our guy, Jonathan Ramlakan, who does post-fight shows. I'm sure he's going to be very busy uh, very late Saturday night talking not only about canelo but talking about ufc 268 as well so make sure make sure you subscribe to the network and guys again i mentioned it near the beginning of the show i'll mention it here at the end of the show uh to get the audio only version we've been on spotify for a long time but we are now also on apple podcasts which uh you know th this is what I, I know some people use spotify uh, I do do some things on Spotify, but I, I get most of my shows on Apple Podcasts. So if you search for us on the Apple Podcast app, search for five rounds, and you'll see, as you can see here, the orange and black fist logo. That's us. Please subscribe to our channel. And that way you can not only watch us, you can listen to us. Probably better not to see some of these faces here. I won't single anybody out, uh, but it's you know <laughs> the, the audio only listen to it in the car. It's a very, very Thanks beautiful thing. Thanks a lot, Alex. <laughs> no, I was talking about me. I was talking about myself. You guys are both beautiful. <laughs> so huge, huge shout out to Frank Zaffrey. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Frank under, what is it? Real at Frank. Real at real Frank, Z. it doesn't matter. Nobody follows. Who cares? But you, 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 you figured out how to log into your account again, though, right? So you're I back did. on it. I did. Yeah. So I was back on it. Yeah. So he's no longer locked out. And make sure you follow James at James Walker NFL. Follow me at Alex Dono. We will talk to you guys again. And I think uh, we're going to be doing our show next week on Friday instead of Thursday because we're going to be out live at the BKFC event. Uh, at the James L Knight Center, so that that's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm going to be uh I'm going to be hobnobbing at the uh, the crypto experience on the 10th, 11th, and 12th. Going to become a billionaire. Going to going to like uh, quintuple my crypto holdings, and then uh, and then on Friday we're going to broadcast live before the BKFC. So that's going to be really really good. So we'll talk to you guys next week here on another episode of Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network.